Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I cannot wait to introduce our guest today. This is a, this is a special day. Yes, very <laughs> special because our guest today is Shelly Washington. The fabulous Shelly Washington. Hi, Shelly. Hi, hi, hello, and thank you for that great introduction. Great oh, yeah. It's so awesome for us to have you here. It's so exciting for me. You're when we first met in Mysore back in 2004, it was like meeting a rock star or an idol, someone that is just absolutely fabulous and like on your I wish I could meet list because you are just an incredible, inspiring dancer. And um, when we first met, that's that's who you were to me. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. Can you say a little bit about how someone as fabulous as you, and we're going to dig in for our listeners, just we're going to let them know exactly why and how you're as fabulous as you are. <laughs> but can you, can you just say a little bit about how someone as fabulous as you found yourself in Gokulam of all places in <laughs> India? You know, it's a question I have asked myself several times. Um, and thank you for the fabulous. I don't know how much of that is true, but I, um, you know, I was a professional dancer in New York City. I retired in the early 90s. I was still uh, working with Twyla Tharp and uh, as her associate director for many years and staging her works and um, was missing something you know, from not dancing anymore. I was in my late 30s probably. And I spent 10 years after that searching. And a lot of that was in a gym. And a lot of that was cycling. And I was addicted to exercise, of course, coming from being a dancer and just my endorphins. I got really into biking. Mm -hmm. I um, was so into it that I would probably go to a gym and spend maybe two or three hours a day on this stationary bike. Then I got into spinning. Uh, and as I was doing all of that for years, because I had lost so many friends to AIDS in the dance world, I did a lot of the Boston, New York uh, age rides and I trained very hard sometimes a uh, hundred miles a day. Um, I spent, I traveled with my bike when I staged a production for uh, the, what was it? The Dutch national. I took my bike to Holland. I hired somebody every morning from six to nine to meet me at my hotel and take me through Holland six days a week. I was riding there when I was staging for um, the Australian Ballet. I brought my bike there. I rode with the team on the weekends. I was really into it. Now I'm back in New York. I'm on my bike and they pull the bikes to the side and this yoga teacher comes in to do our yoga class. And it's probably been like 10 years I've been way into this cycling <laughs> and I couldn't touch my toes. And I was yeah, like, oh my God, I'm so tight. So I started taking these yoga classes. Uh, wait, wait. You were on the bike in the gym and the yes. yoga class came in and why did in you say gym. to yourself, well, I should do that too. Like, why did you think to do that as well? I was really getting tight. I was aerobically and physically in great shape, but I, you know, I, I, my hamstrings and my back and so forth. So I said, you know what, maybe I'll just do some of this yoga stuff, which right. I never wanted to do before. Um, 
and my teacher kind of, uh, it, well, it was just like all typical of what I thought yoga was. And anyway, I did her classes. And after a few months, <laughs> she said, you know, um, I only remember her first name is Pat. She came up to me and said, you know, you've come a lot to the class and I really can't help you much because it's a gym and you should go to a yoga studio, go to Jiva Mukti. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So I went to Jiva Mukti one afternoon. I took a lead primary class at four or five in the evening with Govinda, who was Russell at the time. Russell, oh, Russell wow. Kai. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That so was I my first Meister class too. Wow. I, I, I couldn't do any much of it, but you know, I was looking around and they're like doing Chuck Rossin and stuff. I was like, oh my God, what is this? But I kind of followed around. So I went like twice a week. Yeah. And Russell comes up to me at Govinda now and says, I, you know, I would really like to help you, but I can't. This is a leg class. You should be coming to my morning class. It's Mysore. I go, well, what's that? And he explains what time. And he said, it starts at six and it's over at nine or 10. I can't remember. I was like, six in the morning? Oh my God. Okay. So I went three times, two or three times a week, thinking I was like a major person getting up and going to uh, Jiva Mukti at that hour. For, for, and I mean, he got me up, up to Marichi Asana and I couldn't go beyond that because I couldn't bind and he came over and he helped me every day. And then one day he comes over and goes, you know, I'd really like to help you. <laughs> so this is a theme here. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you're not coming up. You, you have to come here six days a week. I looked at him and said, what? <laughs> I have to get up early six days a week to come here? Like, when do I party? When do I drink? Yeah. What do I do? And he looked right at me and said, Friday night. Right. <laughs> there's only one night you can that's do that. one night yeah. so yeah. i got into it so that's how i started the and kino was in my class and barry yeah, yeah. and um, chuck uh it was kind of it was wild um so i was doing that and that's then in the jerks. meantime segueing into that i had just kind of reconnected with David, I started texting him and going, hey, I think I like this chant. What is it? Or, hey, my neck is hurting me on this backward flip thing. How do I do it? And he would write me back this stuff, you know, and he would write it and sign it. Is this Shelly Washington? Because the Shelly Washington I met 10 years ago said she would never do yoga. And I'd be like, yeah, I like the chanting. And so... <laughs> Anyway, so that's how it kind of started again. Anyway, you were still forward. in contact with David that that whole time. The whole time, oh. not not um, not all the time. I mean, we had our own separate <laughs> lives, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but okay. when I was like dying and Chuck Ross, and I was like, yeah, let me call this guy. I think he does yoga. That's basically how it <laughs> was. And, and just um, for our listeners, the David you're referring to is David Swenson. Yes. <laughs> I remember being in a sitting and waiting for uh, one of the classes at Jiva Mukti. This is you know so long ago, and um, I guess the the late nineties. Yeah, maybe late nineties, early two thousand, maybe early two thousand. And there's David on a videotape, right. and I look up and I go, I know that guy. I I I hung out with him in nineteen ninety one in California. Everybody's like, yeah, right. I go, no. <laughs> I, I know him. So anyway, that was also funny. Um, and didn't you meet him in a nightclub? I met him in an open air like dance 
place. I, I couldn't even call it a club. He was with two friends and I was with two friends. I was working with Twyla. She was working on a movie. I had flown out to spend a month with her and make sure she had everything she needed. And I was working such unbelievable hours and getting was that, up. That I was exhausted. White this was Nights, a, I think, was it? I'm sorry? White Nights, was it that movie? No, that one was before. This was, okay. um, White Nights was way after. Well, no, actually White Nights was before. Yeah. Um, this is a movie with, um, I can't remember at the moment. I'll try and remember. Mm. I wasn't involved with the movie. I was just there to help her get through working on the movie. Okay. This was Nick Nolte and I can't, I can't remember. Anyway, I lived with her. I think we were in Santa Monica. Um, it was beautiful. David was just starting in his yoga in LA, having a very difficult time working a million other jobs and so forth. And his friends had brought him to this place just to dance and, you know, let off some steam and my friends also. And that's where we met. Wow. Um, and then we kind of would run into each other. Um, I don't know, six years later, we ran into each other in London. And then two years after that, we ran into each other in New York. And then like a year and a half after that, we literally ran into each other in Colorado <laughs> um, literally just like turning a corner and boom, hey, hi, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> gee, and he'd be like, I'm teaching here. And I'd be like, oh, my sister and my family have lived here since the 70s. Oh, wow. You know, or New York, just turning a corner. Oh, my God, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm here to study with Patabi Joyce. Who's that? You know, like, um, you yeah. know, Patabi Joyce is here doing a, a conference or whatever. Um, and anyway, so we fast forward got together we moved out of i moved out of new york uh, we moved to austin his family is uh, from houston mm -hmm. and um he had moved back to houston when his father was very sick with cancer and he'd moved back from california yeah. to be with his dad through his final year yeah. of life and take help his mother take care of his father so he was here and I was like well I I couldn't even drive a car I was so New York I've been in New York for 30 years I didn't know any color existed except black I mean that's you know all I wore I never ate dinner before 11 at night because I was always in the theater um you know it was completely <laughs> completely different David when we when I ran into him in London we had dinner at a like vegan restaurant in London in the nineties, I was working with the Royal Ballet at like 6.30. And I said to him, who eats at 6.30? I've never heard of anyone who eats dinner. And, you know, he showed up and he was like in hemp and we laugh at this story all the time. And, you know, he's basically, I'm exaggerating a bit, but he's like, you know, having hot water with a lemon and, you know, <laughs> leaf lettuce and, you know, and I'm picking chicken out of my teeth and wearing, you know, some little <laughs> mini skirt and, full on makeup and <laughs> crazy <laughs> different times but um and I remember saying to him I mean who, who could be with you who could eat like what do you eat and now huh, I'm that person doing all that eating That's what he eats it's kind of it, wild it's but, so um, we're going to to Gokulam together and so you went there together we went together and we went because he has never really been my teacher you know I say that David has been my teacher in life and Sherat ultimately became my yoga teacher. But um, I was studying with Sharon Moon and Bella here in Austin. Yeah. And so I'll was I at that time. Yes. We, were, we were hanging out a little bit. Yes, and yeah. at the North Studio particularly, I'll never yeah. forget, I came home, it was 2002. And I said to David, you know what? 
I'm going to the source. I'm going to go to India. I'm going to go and figure this out on my own. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you know, the family is coming to America. This was the end of 2002. Why don't you go and, you know, study, see the family and see how you feel. So I said, all right, I'm going to go by myself. I want my own experience. I don't want anything to be anything to do with you. I don't want anyone to know I'm with you. I just want to go. So I went to Boulder for a week and did, and that, you know, Sarah Swati was there, Joseph, uh, obviously. Uh, Joseph Dunham, Ruki, yeah. Yes, Sherat. Yeah. Um, um, the whole family was there, Sarah Swati, yeah. And I took these classes in the morning, you know, the lead class. Uh, Richard Freeman was the host. And um, right. I spent a little time with the family, um, after some, some of those days throwing snowballs and kind of having fun. And I went back home and I said, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm going to India. So David and I went to India in March of 2003. We were planning to go for a month. He um, wasn't sure how I would feel going. He prepared me very well. Um, <laughs> and I actually went, we were the first ones in the new Shala, you know, so right. I never practiced in the old Shala. There were, maybe maybe 48 people tops right yeah yeah I and i think uh we were going to stay for a month and david had to leave to travel and i looked at him and i said you know what i'm going to stay and i stayed for two more months by myself that's when i got the apart the the house and put the it together that was my day job beautiful and, sumptuous yeah luxurious was, apartment yes it had running time, water yes. Had a yes. toilet, had a yes. television. Yes. Incredible. Incre and a refrigerator <laughs> with a freezer. I mean, and it was, it was the kind of luxury that we just, we couldn't even like your, your, your mouth would drop open. Exactly. And things. I think I was in my maybe early fifties by then. And my grandparents had passed and left me just a little bit of money. And I said, all right, I'll put it to put it to this good use. I'm going to stay here and come here a couple of times a year. I think, oh, well, we had a bed. I mean, nobody yeah. even had beds. I mean, no. and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of the oldest people here. And I lived in the seventies sleeping on floors and wearing yeah. jeans and doing right. all that stuff. And I'm not going to do it now. Um, and this is funny. I remember Lakshmi's coming and going, oh, your house is so amazing. Exactly. And then one day he came like about four years later and he said, I'm so sorry, but there's a, a house that's more amazing than yours now. And pretty mm. soon it was like, oh, every house is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Right? But there was a period where your house was the place to be. Yes. And if you could get a friendship going with Shelley Washington, then you could have a much better afternoon. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it was really kind of fun. And we took, you know, I took some heat for having a bed and uh, <laughs> oh a TV and uh, ice. And then pretty soon people ice, would be like, yeah. hey, can I come over and just have some ice? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, then the next step up was like, do you have an air conditioner? And like, I did. Oh, yeah. I had one air conditioner in the bedroom and I had, you know, the houses had beautiful marble floors. And so the coolest thing to do was to make hot chai and then go in the bedroom, close the door, sit on the floor and drink hot chai and be cold because, you know, it was so hot there. It yeah. was like the biggest luxury. Um, I loved it. I loved those early days. It, it really, they stuck with me and even now, every once in a while, I'll just send a WhatsApp to Sharat or uh, Shruti and say, gosh, 
I miss it. I miss those yeah. days, you know. Um, I learned so much. It actually, the yoga and uh, being there changed the way I uh, work with dancers. Oh. And um, so. it, it's sort of changed me and it's given me so many more opportunities. Um, it's been you know, a real blessing in many, many ways. How did it change the way you work with dancers? Um, I think that, and this kind of, well, I feel like there was something very organic about the yoga and about the way you learned and the structure of it and, and how, um, how I learned. And I was, you know, older when I started. So, and it, it was calming and especially uh, David and he was never, nothing was a reward, you know, and even Sharat, you know, you guys, you know, you finally mm -hmm. get an asana and they don't come up and go, woohoo, you know, there's no <laughs> bravo, there's no applause, there's no flowers thrown on stage like when you're a dancer, they just give you the next posture, which hurts more. And then they yeah. have to spend more time like getting into yourself and, and figuring out what's important and what's not and where to release the tension and where to activate and, you know, where to let go. And um, also some sort of just presence and uh, some patience mm -hmm. and uh, maybe patience and compassion for your, for your body, which is not something I would think of when I was a dancer. There was no compassion. It was like, you just had to do it. You, you worked hard, you turned your legs out more, you jumped higher, you pushed. So yeah. I think in teaching, I started to really think, wow, what, you know, what is a teacher? A teacher is someone who facilitates, someone who motivates, someone who inspires you. Mm -hmm. and, and that can be done in a way that is not strict and and enforcement and um because i used to be quite strict as a as a ballet rehearsal mm -hmm. director um you know mm -hmm. and i still am you have to be on time you have to be standing up shoes on ready to go um you know i'm i still have that but it's I've, it became more fun and i do still say to dancers this is live this is live theater and if you fall or you make a mistake you know i'm i forgive you i don't forgive if you don't try yeah as long as you go out there and give a hundred percent the result yes we want you to have a great show the the reality is that not everybody is going to have the best show at the same time sometimes it all comes together but heart and soul and um uh, forgiveness and that's been uh, kind of a wonderful thing you know mm. you know harmony mentioned recently that one of the one of the 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 diversions in, in the road, the the fork in the road for her was that with with ballet, she felt at one point that her life was in danger with it. And I, I wanted to ask you uh, your experience in, in dance, because it is, it's, I think it's, it's, it can be brutal for girls with body image and with diet. And I, and I wanted to ask you, Shelly, how did, how did you not just survive in dance and how did you survive in dance? But how did you thrive there? Um, gee, that's a good question. I'm gonna just start with a little history. My, my father was in the army. My parents were actors in college. They met in college, they graduated from Howard University, which is an all black college. Mm -hmm. That was in the early, early fifties. Um, my dad was uh, one of the top black disc jockeys in Washington, DC, 52, 53. Incredible. And then I was born and then he went into the army because there wasn't really a lot of work for people of color in um, theater back 
those days. Mm -hmm. um, but they were always really uh, made sure my sister and I could do any kind of curricular activity that we wanted to do and they encouraged it. They also read to us every night. My mother continued to be in place throughout her life and even though she was a teacher and wherever we lived, you know, she would be in a little playhouse theater or something. Um, and so I started in Germany when I was six and it was very strict ballet. And I think I might've been the only person of color in my class at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it was just something my parents wanted me to do. I did it. Every time we moved, I would pick up ballet classes wherever I lived. Um, it was kind of, I remember getting rewarded, you know, when I was like nine or 10, like if I went to ballet on Saturday, I could have a donut, you know, something mm. funny like that or a McDonald's <laughs> or something. This is like, you know, mid sixties. Yeah. Um, I never had a problem with my weight. I never had a problem with body image that way. I have very tight hips, which I don't have a lot of open rotation, very, very necessary to be a prima ballerina, very important. Mm -hmm. um, so I always kind of felt badly that I didn't have these really, really open hips, but I had the ability to jump and do all of these other things. I had good feet and good proportions. By the time I was in, I don't know, 11 or 12, my family had moved. We were the first black family to move into a city in Michigan. I was the first black, obviously, in my school, uh, which was a junior high, my sister in her school, elementary. I was also the only dancer in my school. What? I was one so of two people. Were you in Detroit? In, uh, no, was in uh, Warren, Michigan, Centerline, Michigan, okay. in, in mid-60s. Yeah. And uh, my dad, uh, this is another side story, but we lived on an army base there because nobody would sell them a house because of the yeah. color of their skin, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, but we went to the schools and to this day, some of my best friends are people whose families opened their doors and their hearts to our family way back then from my best, best, best friends are still from that time. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and I also played the violin. Um, there were no violin teachers. So I stopped playing the violin at, when I was 14, my mom really thought that uh, I had some talent and asked my teacher in Warren if there were a place I could go. And she said Interlaken. And I went to the summer oh, camp when I was 14. That's such a great place, yeah. So I, I went to school there and I'm, I wound up staying there. And so I did my high school at Interlaken. And every wow. summer between that, I would go to, I went to American University one summer when I was 16. I went to Jacobs Pillow in Massachusetts when I was 15. I went to Connecticut College when I was 16 during the summers when I was not at Interlochen. So I had a great education. And I would say that Interlochen was a place where even though I was one of few people of color, I felt like everybody. I did mm -hmm. not feel, I felt like we were all there for the first time in my life. I was in the right place. I was with people who were like me, not because of the color of my skin, but in my mindset and what I wanted to do. We were all artists, dancers, pianists, art majors. Um, you know, musicians. Uh, it was a beautiful environment for three years of school with, you know, like 300 students there. And that's where I got my training, which sent me directly to Juilliard um, in mm. New York. So I moved to New York when I was 17. I didn't have those kind of problems. Maybe I was just sort of naive. My problems actually came much later. My, my thing was that and I thought about this so much, Russell and Harmony, 
that I have absolutely no regrets as a dancer. I did it all. I did everything that one could do as a dancer. And I have total fulfillment with that. I danced with Martha Graham's company when I was 19 after Juilliard for a year. I left that to join Twyla Tharp. And I've been paid 52 weeks a year by Twyla Tharp since 1975. I've been with her for 45 years. I mean, <laughs> I don't- incredible. She should I, raise her salary some, but yeah. Well, no, but actually now I, I, I don't, you know, we, she doesn't have a company. So I do, I, I work for her when there are pieces that need to be set and staged. But in my career with her, I did the movie Hair. We did a Broadway show, Singing in the Rain, in which I played Sid Charisse. We did television projects. So I had a, a full career. We've traveled the entire world, South America, Asia, all of the States, all of Europe. Um, so it was fulfilled. When I retired, I was good. I started I just yoga when I was in my late 40s and perhaps my body images came from maybe not being able to do things that younger people could do or having to move slower into it and maybe not getting as far in the practice as I would have liked to have gotten. So it's interesting that I didn't really have that in dance. I had it more in yoga um, because I feel like I couldn't quite understand at the time that yoga was something that was really for me, for my body, much more of an internal practice and that it was what I needed for me and not a show. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating, like coming to the practice mm -hmm. out of your dance career and yeah. then um, yeah. still having all of those patterns and like habits of thinking yeah. and samskaras with you from dancing yeah. and, and excelling at dance and then yoga is similar but kind of but different not. right I would, I would actually say i think many dancers who do yoga suffer from it you know a lot of dancers that come into yoga are beat up man we're beat up our, our knees are bad yeah. our back is bad uh there there really is a lot of body issues um i didn't personally have them i didn't have that problem look i was dancing with twyla and with martha eight ten hours a day uh, every day and then if, of course if we were in the theater and doing a run for a couple of weeks or something we were performing at night finishing at 10 30 eating dinner getting up taking class at 9 30 in the morning rehearsing from 12 to 4 or 5 going to the theater getting ready warming up again performing all night eight shows a week or whatever you're doing so I didn't I didn't have anything of that um, and I actually had a very healthy career in terms of injuries Again, more of my stuff came from yoga. I just didn't learn how to stop pushing. Right. But can I ask you, before digging more into that, was it difficult to transition from ballet into modern? Did you, that, that open hip thing, was that something that, that upset you at the time? Or did you feel like you knew the direction that you should go? You're such a good uh, interviewer. This is such a good question. <laughs> Wow. Um, I'm going to be really, really honest. I have never really said all this before. I had a teacher in 1969 that told me that I would never be a ballet dancer because of the color of my skin. Wow. Not be and, and maybe, and that's all I really remember. I remember the place. I remember the conversation. I remember the teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's 1969. I was 14. And um, 
Uh, I love ballet. And anyone who knows me knows I love it. I weep at the ballet. I mean, mm -hmm. I sit at the ballet when I sit, I used to sit with Baryshnikov because he was the director when I was there. And I was a, you know, a rehearsal director after I retired, I stayed at American Ballet Theater as one of their rehearsal directors for all of Twyla's rep. And uh, I would watch these dancers and I would see in rehearsal and their hair is falling down and they have all their schmatzas on and everything. And then you'd see them in, you know, Giselle or Sylphie mm -hmm. and, they're all, they were so beautiful and I would cry and he couldn't believe that I would cry, you know, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I did ballet every day of my life. That's how I, I warmed up and trained and kept my body. It was like playing the scales on the piano. It's just what mm -hmm. I did. Um, I did not, I didn't feel bad actually, Russell. I felt like, okay, he said, you have a beautiful body, you have beautiful feet, you have beautiful proportion, you have a natural ability to move, you have everything. You should be a modern dancer or a Broadway dancer or be an actress. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, I'm gonna just keep doing ballet and I'm gonna go, I mean, I was taking modern dance classes at Interlochen anyway, mm -hmm. and I just went that direction. Um, and honestly, the kicker of the whole story is that 20 years later, at 34 years old, Baryshnikov brought me into American Ballet Theater as a soloist. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. Um, uh, I had enormous, a great career. Enormous and, sense of, of um, legitimacy to that, to, the, to that Misha picking you out like that well you know he twyla came in to be his associate director to abt and she had disbanded her company and she bought a brought a few of her dancers into american ballet theater at that time yeah. to the point and i'm you know i don't know who this is to but um misty copeland who is a yeah. woman yeah. of color uh is in american ballet theater now and she was a soloist um mm -hmm. while she was in the core she was a soloist after that which is the next tier mm -hmm. if you will and she's the first uh woman of color to be a principal dancer in american ballet theater so if you wanted to give this man some kind of mm, mm -hmm. she's the first one there right and how many mm -hmm. years later was that yeah quite a few uh, <laughs> you know from 1969 to when she became as I don't remember what year, but it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't think. been that long. I yeah. mean, it hasn't been 10 years. I don't think no. I don't want to misquote. So um, I grew up with my grandparents and my parents who marched, who, you know, did all of that. My, my um, both sets of my grandparents only had one child. My mother and father were only children. And even though they, one was raised in Virginia and the other in South Carolina and never knew each other, my grandparents, all four of them realized that they could only have one child because education was the most important and the key to success. And if they had more than one, they would not be able to afford the jobs that they had to do to put my mother and father through school and that they both met in college and graduated, my mother is brilliant, was brilliant, my mother has passed, but she graduated a year early. So I think um, I've always been brought up with a, a strong worth, work ethic, um, the ability to try anything that I wanted to do extracurricular to 
make me a more rounded person, whether it was ballet or, you know, I was like, okay, I'll play the violin. Okay, I, I don't want to play the violin. I'm not good at it. I stopped after three years. I was not that good at it. I didn't have a passion. I continued with the piano. I didn't have the passion I had for dance. Um, mm -hmm. I took the harp at Interlochen for a year. I was terrible. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but so I, I could try other things, you know, I had this yeah. opportunity and I, I had these, you know, wonderful parents that opened the door for me to sort of continue in what they had always hoped to be and do, you know, be on the stage. Yeah. And um, they, they, it seems like they made very conscious decisions to give you as much privilege as they could, knowing that that being African-American was going to be a marginalized uh, position to be in growing Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And you know what? I mean, I, I don't have my parents now, but I don't even know if I've ever told them about the teacher who said that to me. Mm -hmm. I never said it to any, I mean, I just was okay. All right. You know, more I was going to say is like, I was brought up when people called you bad names and that happened a lot when I, when we moved to Michigan, a lot. Yeah. Um, you just turn the other cheek and the way to get over it was to to go and take your ballet class and to stay in school and to work hard and to learn education and to come home and be able to tell your grandma about it and your mom and dad about it and and to uh, just keep striving, put one foot in front of the other sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Call me this and call me that, you know, all of those yeah. things. And I just at the time took it as, okay, I'll show you. Yeah. Not in a defiant way, but just like it gave me the spark mm -hmm. to, yeah. to keep striving. And I didn't have to say it to anyone. I didn't have to say it to my parents. It was just inside of me, okay. And um, like I said, I think people always, you know, go, well, there's no one here like me. I'm the only person of color. But here I was at Interlock and one of a very few, and I felt everybody was me. Mm -hmm. Everybody was a 14-year-old or 15-year-old or 16-year-old kid away from home mm -hmm. for all those years trying to fulfill their passion and being directed in every way possible by the greatest teachers and mentors to do that. So we were living in the, you know, it was cold in Michigan. I mean, up there in yeah. Traverse City, you know. Yeah. And it was, um, it was an honor and a privilege. And um, we were all the same. We were all the same. Did, did you think that right away, everyone around you, all your teachers around you growing up, that, that there was something a little bit different about you, that you were so obviously a star? <laughs> I don't know if I would say a star at all, but I would say that um, I had tremendous encouragement and wonderful teachers and wonderful, wonderful opportunities. And I had the thing you know, when you're in the right place at the right time. I, I really believe a lot of that. You know, I was in New York at the right time, the 72, uh, Juilliard. It was incredible. The dance was everywhere. The National Endowment was amazing. There were companies all over. It was, it was a beautiful, wonderful place to be. I didn't even have fear. I didn't even know what fear was. I didn't even think for a second I wasn't going to make it. I didn't even know what making it meant. I just, it was such an incredibly wealthy time, uh, an enriching time for the arts. And even to be in New York, juxtaposed to, yeah, there were a lot of drugs and there were a lot of problems also, but I didn't live in that world. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I just was surrounded by people that just seemed to be put on the earth to help me to be better at what I do, which were my teachers and my, my colleagues. And so it just kind of happened. I was that, that person who went to Interlochen in the summer and then got a scholarship and got to stay there for three years of school. And while I was in my last year of school, I auditioned in New York at Juilliard and got into Juilliard and had a scholarship. And after a few years in Juilliard, Martha Graham saw me perform or someone from the company. And I went and auditioned alone with my friend Christopher for Martha Graham in a room. And she took me into her company. And we wound up in 74 or five going to Asia for three months and going to Venice and performing all over. You know, I was 19. And I can remember going, you have to audition at the end of each year at Juilliard to pass that year and all the teachers are lined up, you know, like in fame or whatever, and they're at their desk and you have to dance and then they give you your critique and all that. And I remember going, "Um, I just got into the Martha Graham company, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah, and it was during that time that I had done a workshop with Twyla Tharp between Juilliard, you know, in the summer, I had gone to another summer camp, American University Wolf Trap in Washington, and I took her classes for six weeks and I loved it. And um, somebody from her company remembered me and they had auditions and they sought me out and she invited me to come audition for the company. And it's a place I always wanted to be. It was creative and new. It wasn't doing old repertoire. It was, you know, four dancers. It was very avant-garde and it was downtown. and. I went in and I auditioned for the dancers and I left the gram when my contract up was up and did that. So my whole, and it was with Twyla that I went to American Ballet Theater. And then it was that that led to that. And it was, if you want to go, it was me and my passion for cycling and trying to figure out how to bring back and give back to the dance world and AIDS and all of that that led me to yoga. And it was that teacher, Pat, at, at my gym, who took me to Jiva Mukti, which sent me to Mysore. It all just kind of uh, fell into a, a, I'm not gonna say it was easy. It wasn't easy, but it fell into a, 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 a an organic line of movement, perhaps mm-hmm. is a better way to say it. And yeah, it wasn't always easy. And look, I was beginning yoga and I was married to David Swenson and I couldn't, you know, jump through, jump back, bow. I mean, you know, I couldn't do any of it, right? So it <laughs> also messed with my head that I left uh, New York yeah. and where I'd lived for 30 years and all of my work and what I thought was my self-worth to go on another journey in my early 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Late 40s, early 50s with David, where it was all David. Right. So, and I mean, you know. You're a star in the in the dance world and everybody knows you. Um, and then in the yoga world, David's a star yeah. and, and everyone knows him. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was just very, it was, um, and, but I will, you know, I will say that David always said, you know, the the asanas don't matter you know it's not about the asanas he kept you know he'd always say that to me and i went well i don't know because it's what everybody you know it's all about the asanas and and that was part of me going to mysore i wanted to know okay is david telling the truth or is he just saying that because he loves me you know Mm -hmm. um (laughs) 
and he's trying to keep me calm. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, that's what I felt when I went to Mysore. You know, I didn't feel that it was about the asanas at all. It was something much richer and fuller. And, um, and I loved it. I loved it. You know, meeting, meeting you there, knowing absolutely nothing about dance at all except that I I don't have any I don't have good rhythm but I have a I have a good point um <laughs> thank you yes you do <laughs> I you. always notice feet I'm sure I've told you you, you did yes. you did yes. tell me yes. you were actually I, the one that told me that I had a good point yes I, you um, know when you're in a handstand or a headstand I'm always pointing out to David I'm like oh my god their feet are so beautiful oh. <laughs> But knowing really nothing about you, I could see that there was something electric about you, that there's something about you that was, you were gonna be a star in any environment you were gonna be in. And even in yoga, where David Swenson is a star, you're still the person that people wanna to get to know. <laughs> and so I wonder, you know, growing up in dance, you're aware, are you aware that there are other people that just don't have that? You know, the people yes. that aren't being picked out and what, yes, what is it that they don't have? I mean, you have passion, you have work and you have all the technique and you've been privileged enough to have all of these great teachers and yet someone else is in the same position and they just don't have that fucking spark that you have. Well, you know, it's in everything. You know, why is it that some people practice yoga for a year and can do it all? And some people have been doing it for 10, 20 years and will never stand up out of a back bend. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, it, why are all animals are beautiful. All horses are beautiful. But what is it that makes, uh, you know, secretary, I don't know anything yeah, about horses, secretary, but what, you know, special. what makes one horse? A, it's a special horse. It's a special horse. Now, is that <laughs> proportion? I mean, what made Lance Armstrong when he was at the top of his thing? You know, I mean, well, he, he his proportions. His he's well, he got he, he some... got cancer and he lost all that upper body weight and he made him super light and then he started shooting up a bunch of junk and he was amazing. <laughs> but but before he... that, before <laughs> that, I think he's like, a he's know... a fellow Harmony. He's a fellow Austinite, so he's. Right. We know him from back then. We do. We know him, you know, and I, like I said, I cycled. So I watched all those tours and to yeah. France and all that stuff for many, many, many years. He, but I he jumped he into like... a crowd right next to me in Paris. Oh, he was I, on his I, bicycle I... at the Champs-Élysées and the Texans came by and we were all waving our flags and he jumped into the crowd and crowd surfed. Wow. Awesome. Wow, and now we don't really know where he is. But I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, he. I read that he had like a bigger heart uh, than most, or some sort yeah. of capacity. You know. Anyway, what I'm saying is, there are major star dancers that cannot teach you how to be a star, and they can't teach you how to be who they were or are. Mm -hmm. And then there are teachers who are not stars that can teach you things that they couldn't do right do you know what i mean there are different kinds of people and um i don't know what makes someone super super special but i can pick them out i can yeah and, and it's not always the one that can do everything right. that's the at Is that it? moment you know and that's part of my job also going in if i have to go to a 
no, not if I, I wish I could now with COVID, but when I go to work with a ballet company or, or any company, Alvin Ailey, uh, the Royal Ballet, the Swedes, the Swiss, the Dutch, uh, Joffrey, whoever. Um, and I say that with love, not whoever, because I love them all. You walk in and you watch them in class and there's always the obvious, well, we need a tall this and that, or we need someone who can turn 10 times and we need the jumper. Yeah, okay. And then there's always somebody that no one else thinks is ready. And I think they are. Mm -hmm. And those are the people, you know, they're, I don't know, sometimes they're in the back, sometimes they're the youngest, and sometimes they're the oldest that people think they well, she can't possibly be Juliet anymore. She's past her prime. And somehow you can bring out something in those people and fill them with confidence. And, and they have some sort of artistic, je ne sais quoi, you know, something mm -hmm. special. And it all just comes out again. So some people you can't see it and you can bring it out of them. Um, star quality, I don't know. I, uh, sometimes I remember certain people tell me you could tell by someone's eyes. You could tell yeah. by the way they intuit information and they listen mm -hmm. and how they pay attention. Um, I really don't know what makes a star. I don't know if they're born or if they learn it. Um, I don't know what makes people special, but there's, I will also say that everybody is special. Some people just happen to figure out what they're particularly great at when they're very young and stick to it and make it happen. You know, some people mm -hmm. just get it right off the bat. They're, they're supposed to be on a horse. They're supposed to be a ballet dancer. They're supposed to play the horn. They're supposed to invent computers or right. whatever. They're just, they're supposed to have children. Yeah, that's interesting. That's so you, like being able to to put those pieces together to intuit yeah. or feel like, yeah. like you were saying your life, how it flowed, like just able to kind of sense if you're in the right place, you know, right. something right. to that, right. That being open right. um, to receiving, I don't know, guidance or messages or just the feeling, the quality of, of where your life needs to move. It's, I don't, it's yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it is, the ability to have to recognize that it's the ability to have imagination, passion, discipline, to get back up when you're down, when people tell you you can't, you have to, there's a point when we all as dancers know, another dancer will tell you, for sure other dancers, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it as a professional dancer. I'm not going to make it to make a living being a professional dancer. Think of all the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of People who take ballet class, they're not all professional dancers. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a point where you know, I can do it. And then there's a point where you think you still can and you're still trying, but you honestly, you know, you can't. I mean, I've had a lot of roommates like that. And then there's a point where <laughs> you go, okay, I'm going to go back to school or I'm going to do this or I'm going to, you know, have children or I'm going to be a teacher, you know, you, you, and then there's those people that just are going to, I'm going to just make it no matter what. Yeah. And there's all those different, um, you know, different channels. And it, ha it hasn't been easy. I say there's a flow, but even with the flow there, you know, it goes backwards a bit and then sure. forwards. And um, but I was open to mm -hmm. and I really was in New York City at the right time. I, I just, you know, uh, 
theater art, Andy Warhol, uh, yes. you know, the musicians, David Byrne. I mean, we worked with David Byrne. He did, you know, when he was with Talking Heads, we did a whole ballet to his music. Uh, Glenn Branca, uh, David Van Tegum. I mean, these amazing people. Um, it was just a uh, very, very, very special time. What was mm-hmm. Harmony? What was the, the, the ballet that we went to in, in St. Petersburg? That's so famous. Oh, we went to Swan Lake. And who, oh, what was wow. what was the theater? What was the the Bolshoi? The Bolshoi, yes. Went to see the Bolshoi, and you you pointed out to me their their body types, and that this mm-hmm. is actually maybe a theater that you that you could have thrived in because they're all tiny white girls, short yes. tiny white girls, mm-hmm. and they have a they have a a class of a body that they that they like, and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then what what I'm what reminds me about that and what you just said is that you know someone with courage, some teacher, had to say it's at a certain point, it it doesn't matter that Misty Copeland doesn't look like that. You know, she's a little right. she's a little maybe too muscular for what people have been doing. Mm-hmm. But someone right. like you had to say, no, she can do it. Right. And I think that's that's amazing that kind of that kind of cultivation. But that there's so many there's so many cultural uh, what's the word zeitgeist. There's like a yeah. there's a cultural shifts that have to happen for that to be allowed. Well, there's, well I think like ahead, even like uh, with in Canada we had a Karen Kane who was a yes you know famous ballerina. But at the yeah. time she was very much not you know small petite right, ballerina. Right. she was I mean she's still quite petite but for a ballerina she was quite large right and Nuriev kind of pulled her out and said no this is the mm. the partner I want to dance with right. and right. that's what kind of catapulted her career oh, right her. right she's a beautiful dancer I mean you know she's beautiful 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 look I think that it takes all kinds and we're learning that more and there's been much more acceptance even in this bleak time in America um, I, you know, I think I wake up every morning and think of something that gives me gratitude and I wake up with hope because if I don't, I will go down a rabbit hole this, this last seven, eight months. You know, I mean, there's no theater, there's this, I mean, everything. I don't even want to just start, so I'm not going to go there. But um, there, we are open to a society where there, you know, a person of color can be uh, in the white swan, be a swan. Um, yeah. And I think also we're, we're talking about opportunity mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to take ballet classes, you have to go to a studio, you have to have a bit of money, you have to buy shoes, you have to have all kinds of things to, you know, take class and, and to excel in it, right? Unless you can get a scholarship when you're, you know, very, very young. So we actually to have more people of color in ballet we have to, to create more uh, uh options for them to be able to start ballet as young children mm-hmm. um yeah that's the because ballet is something you can't start it at, generally speaking you can't start it when you're 12 and be a professional dancer by the time you're 16 or 17 which is sort of where you have to be to be a ballet dancer right i mean yeah and i mean even even for me in canada you know growing up in the 80s it, you know, coming from a, a middle class, you know, white suburban family, it was my parents were sacrificing a lot and borrowing money from my grandparents. Yeah. And like, they were always so stressed out about the cost of 
ballet lessons. It was a yeah. huge burden yeah. for them to put me through ballet lessons. I, I yeah. would have called them working class, actually, given how they're, you know, the electrician and a nurse yeah. in the 80s, yeah. they're broke. I mean, that's, <laughs> they, they did, they gave up everything. To everything. But, you know, I mean, that's what parents do or it did. Is. I mean, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they, 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 um, they, they try most parents, my parents, David's parents to, to make the world a little better place for you. That's what we're all trying to do within the environment and, yeah. you know, voting and everything like to try and yeah, you should have struggles. We should all go through struggles. We should all go through pain and loss and also the good times. Right. But um, our parents are, are nurturing, right. You know, no different than actually our, our yoga should be. Right. And so they, they, provide uh, a fertile environment and ground for you to grow in. They can't protect you from everything, all the harsh winds and uh, too much rain and drought, but they're there <laughs> for you all the time, you know? So um, that's what parents do. And look, I'm not gonna say that, there's so many dancers. I mean, I know dancers that were perfect, beautiful, amazing when I went to school and then the, the girl grows to be six foot two and she can't be a dancer because she's too tall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just because your color of your skin, it's just, or someone's body shape just morphs into something that is not yeah. a dancer's body and not a ballet dancer's body. Right. So now there the options have opened more over the years and certainly in the world of dance and modern dance, contemporary dance, uh, it's, you know, we're open to seeing all kinds of bodies and colors and shapes and genders. And um, so in a way, I it's think positive. we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, but it's the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reminded of, a, of something that, that Michael Jordan said recently in mm. the documentary that was just released. And, you know, that, that, Maybe he didn't exactly say it in the finals, but I, I didn't exactly say it in the documentary, but he said it, that nothing in his life ever has equaled the time when he was in the finals. And here he is now, he's, he's 50 something years old. He has a billion dollar business. He owns an NBA team, but that he doesn't, he's still, he doesn't have that thing that he had then. And I, and I wonder, where you are with your career and with, with choreography and, and with, do you ever, do you feel like there was that time in the eighties with Studio 54 and with dance and in New York? Is it, do you, do you, do you feel like you need to, to still find that excitement or, or, or is what you're doing now um, enough for you? Well, wow. Okay. Um, Hmm. For me, dance is my life. Mm -hmm. It's my passion. It is where I feel home. When I walk into a, a, a dance studio, it doesn't matter if it's in Norway or Nashville or anywhere in the world. I feel like I'm home. I feel something, something so in my soul, so in my being in every bone in my body right now even talking about it, it it gives me chills i mean i i am a dancer um having said that yeah for years afterwards and i've always said you know come some of the books i would want to write are like 
what do you do when it's over? You're 36 years old, you've reached the top, you've retired at the Met Opera House, you've danced everywhere in the world, you've bought your apartment, you have this, you've had flowers thrown on stage, you've had standing ovations. You know, th those are the highs, there are also a million lows. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and, then, and then what? What do you do with the rest of your life? How do you even, because as a dancer, you know, you started when you're a child and it's all you want to do. And then you have to reinvent and recreate. And uh, it's, yeah, you miss the applause and you miss the hard work. And for me, a dance, the team, the, the spirit, the, I mean, you know, you're in a studio for months and months having someone create movement on you and 10 other dancers, 12 other dancers, two other dancers, you. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they give you costumes and makeup and hair. And then you're on stage and you're working in the rehearsals and you're getting lights. And then there's an orchestra and a conductor and um, ushers and stagehands and guys up in the stage doing the light cues and everything comes together and the curtain goes up and there's this hush in the audience and the music starts and you're running to this other guy on stage with your hoping that he's going to catch you after you've done whatever you've done. There's all this trust and this passion and this all that just it's unleashed you know it's like when you let the leash off of the dog and he gets to run through the park there's nothing like it but you can't live in the past and you can't live on those things alone. So I get tremendous, tremendous joy from sitting in the audience and watching dancers that I have worked with and taught a dance that mm -hmm. I danced and it is now theirs. Mm -hmm. I get tremendous satisfaction. I don't have children, but it kind of has that thing where you give them everything you've got everything, you know, I, I, I go away, I do these ballads, I go into like a seclusion, I spend nights, how am I going to get Harmony to get this triple tour? How am I going to get Russell to trust this woman when she's being thrown in the air and this other person, how am I going to do it? Do I need to bring a mattress on the floor? So if she thinks she could, it's going to fall, we can, uh, I do it. Mm -hmm. How do I get them to understand the essence of this work that was made in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000? How do you teach somebody about Sinatra? They weren't even born. They don't even know who he is. People yeah. don't even know who David Van Tegum is now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you bring that time to these people now and let it be of, of importance in 2020 and in their lives? And... Um, they weren't even born when I was dancing these roles, right? So <laughs> that to get to get all that out and to give it to them and to watch them do it and they, you know, they fail in the beginning. I always say to them, okay, you guys, I'm going to be like you're the kid, and you're going to be crawling, and I'm going to keep so showing the steps, and I'm going to say it's okay, and then you're going to start that wiggle thing you do, and then you're going to get on a table <laughs> and hold up and pull yourself up and up, and then you're going to fall down and then you're going to start walking and you're going to fall and one day after this is all done i promise you i'm going to stand on the other side of the room and i'm going to call your name and you're going to run to me just like kids i'm going to make it so safe that you know that you're going to be able to let go of that table and that you've already fallen and it's okay to fall and that's how and that's what happens and then you just sit back in an audience and you hope that the kid you sent off to college is not going to do drugs and <laughs> not do this and that because you've given them everything you have and you hope when the curtain goes up that they can do that and they do and so that's an another kind of uh 
incredible feeling. Will I ever have the feeling of when I was on stage? No. But do I have to have that to live my life? No, because um, I have other things. I've learned to replace them. You know, I have David. Mm-hmm. I have my cat Yogi. I have mm. I have my I have my health. I have a family. I was raised with love. I have love. Mm-hmm. I have health. I have a family. I have David. I have love. I have health. I have a family. I have David. That sounds like a Nina Simone song that I know. But you know what I mean? It's like you have that person when you're yeah. when you're really hurting, when you're really yeah. down, when you don't think you can do it, when you've been away for so long, when you know, when, I don't know, when there's not enough money, when there's not enough this, when you don't feel good about yourself, when you've given so much of yourself, you have nothing for you. There's all those other things, right? And then at the end of the day, I, I can talk to David. I have yeah. somebody who has my back. I have, I call my sister. I can sit alone and um, be grateful for my health at this point. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. I can, I could turn it and be a downer and I've done that. Um, but I choose to not do that, especially now, because I know if I were to go down, I, I wouldn't be able to get back up. Yeah. So I can ride the waves, but I don't want to drown. Yeah. <laughs> right. One thing that I always think about um, when I'm teaching students, Shelly, uh, about, especially about, like meditation actually mm-hmm. and people want to develop meditation practice or develop a sitting practice I always think back to you and um, when you were in Mysore one year I don't remember which year it was but you decided that you were going to develop a meditation practice or a sitting practice can you tell us how you did that if we're talking about the same I would get okay so yeah this we're is, talking about the same story I think I think we are um, I'm not sure, but for me, um, it started in Mysore and they, they had a puja room in the place that we were renting. So I had it all, you know, done with the gods and Lakshmish came and Shiva and Lakshmish blessed it. And then I would be like, okay, well, this is weird. What do I do? Um, I decided I was going to get up and I was just going to sit in that room every morning before I would stretch, before we would practice at 4.15 a.m., and um, I would uh, take a breath for, for my family and inhale and exhale for everyone I loved. Mm-hmm. And um, it started like that. I would inhale and exhale and think of my dad mm. and inhale and exhale and think of my mom. And then I would go through my grandparents and my sister and boyfriends and friends and it started you know I couldn't think and I couldn't sit very long until it became this whole beautiful I couldn't wait to wake up at two and go in this room and then it just became me with my breath I don't know if that's the same story but that's how and for me I will say that um I became after, you know, I have a lot of arthritis and my practice is a baby practice and I can't, you know, I could never take a lead class and it, um, I had a hard time dealing with the fact that I was physically not as strong as I had always been my whole life and been noted for mm-hmm. strong in another way, but you know, I, I couldn't do down dog for years. I can now do down dog. Um, 
because of my shoulders. It's not a very pretty down dog, but I can I can hold it for three or four breaths now without excruciating pain. So I've been working um, and I started swimming. So about five years ago, I was really in despair as my you know body was falling apart. I had a hip replacement when I was 62. Uh, I believe that the yoga actually gave me probably 20 years. I mean, I'm probably one of the oldest dancers I know that has had a hip replacement. Most of, most of my company and many people I know have had them done much, much younger. Yeah. So I think the yoga gave me, saved me. And of course my, if I could have my body like my replaced hip, I would be, you know, in 20th series by now. It's so fabulous. Um, <laughs> it's fabulous. Um, so but one day David um, said, you know, I was going down. I was definitely going down. I would cry in my practice because I couldn't do things that I used to be able to do easily. I would cry because I didn't understand how the things that I could do, all of primary and all the binding and all that, you know, I thought it wasn't good enough. I wanted to get to third, right? I would cry because I couldn't do capo and I used to be able to do it and grab my ankle, you know, and I didn't know when I was doing them how wonderful it was to be where I was. Right. So I would just go in the room and do my yoga and fall apart. And then I would try the next day and fall apart. And he would say, you don't have to do this. And I would, yes, I do. I'm Shelly Washington. You have to, you have to keep going. You can't stop. And um, one day he said, okay, let's just go to the Y. Let's go to a pool. He hates swimming pools and chlorine. I won't, let's not use the word hate because David doesn't hate. Mm. He, he, he really doesn't. He doesn't he have- He strongly dislikes the chlorine. Yes, he hasn't got hate in his body. He doesn't have it. It just, it's not there. So he strongly dislikes chlorine and he strongly dislikes uh, um, confinement of space in water. <laughs> he, he strongly, strongly and strongly loves the ocean. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's where he finds his happy place. You know, that's Dave. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I like lanes. I like chlorine. I like a thing on my head so my hair doesn't get yucky. Mm. I like a one-piece bathing suit. I like that there are no sharks. There's no sand. And I like just order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So nice. there we go. He Thank likes you, surfing and he likes swimming with turtles and big fish. And I mean, I can do it, but it's not like, hmm. So he yeah. goes with me in the water and I can barely lift my arm and you know, I couldn't really swim. I used to be a swimmer in the seventies and I hadn't been back in the water since. And after two days he goes, okay, now you, it's yours. It's yours. We'll get you a membership and, and it's yours. You go to the, and I started swimming and I got up to, I don't know, swimming three miles a day. Wow. wow. I would swim for like two hours, never stop. I never stop. I don't stop once. I touch, turn, go back. I keep going. I don't stop in for anything. My bathing suit could be falling off. I don't stop. My goggles are good. I just, I keep going. And as I started doing it, it became my yoga practice. And this is going to yeah. sound weird. I was so much more in tune with my body in the water than I had ever really realized I had ever been in my practice really deep, really deep where I felt I saw no one. I did nothing. Nothing was in my way. Nobody mm -hmm. could splash me and make me move. Nothing would make me stop. I felt calm. Mm -hmm. I felt, okay, it started and I could only do two laps. I got up to like 200 and whatever. It's, you know, three miles, whatever. And I did it every day. I would just go, um, 
and just get in the water and I'd put my flippers on and I would only do the backstroke because I had limitations of my hip. They wouldn't let me do the breaststroke anymore. I wasn't great at the crawl. And I just started and it would open me and I could open my shoulders and put my arms over my head, which I couldn't do without water. I found a piece and I would go up one side and down the other and think of my mom. Or I started, I'd, actually I lied, I'd go, I'd start the first 10 laps, I'd be the other 10, 11. What do I remember when I was 11? 12th lap. What do I remember when I was 12? And then I'd get to my age and then I would just pass it. And then I'd be like at 150 and then I'd be at like 180. And then my mom, whom I, I lost many years ago um, in an accident, all of a sudden it became about my mom. And it was like, oh, I, could, I felt like I was in her womb. I felt freedom. I felt every breath. I could hear my heart. I was so in tune with rhythm. It took me the same amount of strokes for 240 laps. Like I never, you know, I was 14 strokes. I mean, I never detoured. I was just in this zone. People would come and watch me swim. I didn't even know it. I became like, oh, there, here comes the girl. Just gonna, <laughs> you know, just keep going. The guards would change, you know, they change every half hour. Like two hours later, guys back, he's like, you haven't left yet? I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll get out now. Um, <laughs> and it became my meditation. And it took me back to Mysore. Um, yeah. It became this, you know, like, like being in the womb, being in somewhere where the sound and the, my breath and um, being alive and um, uh, recalling and uh, thinking of people you love and you care about. And uh, um, it became this huge, and it actually helped me get back into my practice. It helped my shoulders, it helped my mind, it, it helped my concentration, it helped my breath. It basically healed my soul. Mm. That's so beautiful. So the swimming and the meditation yeah. both have been really, really uh, crucial and important. Um, well, Shelley, I really want to thank you for, for your generosity and, and sharing with us. It's, it's an incredible event for us. And we're just so, we're just so overjoyed to have, have this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. It's been wonderful to reconnect. I, I think of you both. I love you. I have so many fun and wonderful memories. So, um, and harmony. Oh my gosh. The little, <laughs> the little angel that came to my sore wide <laughs> eyes and just kept practicing and practicing. And now look where you are and what you're doing. Uh, pretty, and my fellow Texan, Russell. Mm. So, you know. Yeah. Let's go Westlake. Yeah, man. We've practiced <laughs> together all over the world. So, how <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so I will end and say thank you. And uh, November 3rd is my 66th birthday. So I'm hoping. Oh! I know. <laughs> Can you believe fantastic. it? Yeah. It, well, yeah. It, it is or it isn't. It depends. Ha it is. It's happy Thanksgiving <laughs> is what it's going to be. Yes. All yeah. right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shelly. It's, yeah. it's just such an honor. You spoke to my, my heart and my soul. Thank you. It's my honor. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
Oh